I'm going to get you to stand up for a quick second and just say hello to some people around you today. I apologize to the introverts in the house. Just a quick pop-up out of your seat. Say hello. All right, when you're done, you can have a seat. <laughs> That's great. We're going to be talking about community today, so I thought you should probably say hello and be friendly to each other just for a few minutes here this morning. Um, I want to welcome those of you watching online this morning and those of you who are listening today uh, with the translation device also. It's so great to, to have you with us. Um, I wanted just to make another comment about our summer services and just, um, just to remind you of kind of the, the value of those, I hope. Um, you know, we've been trying to make room for Sunday mornings and provide space at another time during the week. If Sunday morning doesn't work for you in the summer, if you're traveling or if you have a cottage or you have to work, that maybe a, another option would, would be beneficial to you. So we'll have a service uh, a Wednesday at 6.30. Last year, we experimented with this a little bit, and we had it on Monday, and we learned a lot. And so we're going to take some of those learnings and put them to work this year. It's going to take place in the River Kid Zone. It's just going to be kind of a, a lighter uh, band. It'll have like a keyboard or a guitar. It'll be the same message from the Sunday before, um, but we hope it'll, we'll be sitting around tables. It'll be a, a little bit more casual. Uh, last year, we had a meal. There'll be no meal. We'll have a little snack for you, so you you know, you don't starve within the hour, but uh, we'll have something for you there. But we hope this is helpful to you. One of the things that we learned last year was the value of this for people who work shift work. And I remember someone saying to me, you know, if I work shift work and I love the Lord and, and want to be at worship every Sunday, and if I think about the weeks I'm working and my vacation, and let's say I'm sick once during the year, at best, I can only be in church 13 times in, in a calendar year. So maybe for those of you in the shift work world, this will be uh, helpful to you so you can feel and continue to feel a part of our, our church family. So uh, we look forward to, to experimenting a little bit more this summer. And we're going to finish up our values series. We've been walking through kind of the values that we hold as a congregation, and today we're going to finish that up. Uh, we would say that every church has the same mission that we are called to make disciples. It's not a mission we get to choose. Jesus gave it to us. Now, the vision of our church is what does that look like for us as Rivercross here in the north end of St. John. So the vision is unique because it allows us to think about how are we going to do that. And so that becomes kind of our vision language. But our values are those things that kind of wrap it all together. We often talk about values are like the lines on a highway. They keep you focused and they keep you moving in the right direction. And each church has some values that would be the same to other churches. And each church has values that are a little bit unique to them because of just who they are because of their history, and because of the makeup of their congregation. And that will feel a little bit true maybe as we talk about our values today. For me, the values have been helpful because it helps us think about what will we say yes to, and more importantly, what will we say no to. And oftentimes, we say no to things that are really good things, but they just don't kind of fit with our values or with who we are. So this is a quick review. We talked about being gospel-centered that at the heart of all we do is this life-changing encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. That we're not just kind of nice people doing nice things, but we've had this personal experience of God reaching out to us, and we've experienced his love, and we want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to wrestle with that as well. We talked about being a worshiping community, 
that something is at the center of each of your lives and it's shaping your life. Something is at the center of each of your lives and it shapes our lives. And worship is the joyful discipline of keeping Christ at the center of our lives. We talked about being mission-minded, that the church is not a place to run and hide from the world. It's not a place to get away, but rather we are called to go out into our community and to serve and, and to love people. Like that image of a river that flows outward and it brings life, that is our calling. Whether that's through River Cross Mission, through our work in El Salvador, whether it's you being the hope of Christ in your workplace or in your neighborhood, we are called to take our faith and to go out. And then compassion, and we talked about last week, and this is how we treat people as we go out. And we looked at the example last week of Jesus who sees people again and again, and his gut response to them is compassion. That he has a gut-level response of feeling love and concern for them, no matter their circumstances. And that we would strive to be this kind of a people as we go out and carry out the Lord's work as well. And today we're going to talk about being a beautiful community. If you're new to us, this is a word that we use to describe diversity, but it requires some explanation. Because as soon as you start calling yourself beautiful, you're running into problems, right? It sounds a little bit arrogant that we're kind of like the best-looking group in town or, or something like that, which, of course, is, is true, um, but it's not what we mean. When we talk about beautiful, we mean diverse, that God is bringing together a group of people from many different walks of life here and uniting us together because of our faith. Let me give you a quick overview of kind of how this has developed over the years. Our first diversity kind of started with our socioeconomic diversity as we embraced ministry to the Old North End. Uh, for many of you who grew up in this church, the Old North End was your home. You grew up on Main Street or Victoria Street or Metcalf Street. You maybe lived in a flat with multiple members of your family. It was a great family neighborhood. But then things started to change over the while, and our church building was still in the neighborhood, but many of our members moved out and were commuting in from different parts of the city. And the neighborhood changed. And, th and then the church became like many congregations across the land, that we're wrestling with this situation that we don't go to church in our neighborhood anymore and hardly anybody from our neighborhood comes to our church. And it felt weird, and it should feel weird. We should always be representing the neighborhoods that we're a part of. And so the church, with great courage, began to wrestle with what would it look like for us to have a ministry with the people in our community. And we're still doing that and trying to figure that out today. And then it expanded to our ministry with the Mandarin-speaking community and primarily with university students at UMBSJ. I remember when we started offering the Alpha program with Mandarin subtitles, okay, on VHS, which meant that we took the original Alpha program and then someone had overdubbed Mandarin subtitles on top of it, which gave it this lovely grainy look um, for VHS already. Um, and I remember when we first offered it, and we had a handful of Mandarin-speaking students that came from the university. And I'll remember that when Nikki Gumbel, the host of the program, told the joke, the students laughed. And I remember they're getting it. They're hearing this in their own language. And it was so, so powerful. And of course, this ministry continues to grow. As Pastor John mentioned in his prayer, tomorrow, Reverend James Yang, our new Chinese outreach pastor, arrives in St. John from Vancouver. Um, yes. Yes. 
he's arriving here. His, all of his household items are also arriving tomorrow, and he's, I think, promised to his wife and daughter, uh, who will arrive later on, that he's going to have the house uh, set up for them when they come. So he's got a lot of work to do. Uh, but this is such an exciting time for us, and just kind of a continuation of what God has been doing. Now, for James, you know, he's not coming to go and minister to the Mandarin-speaking community for us. That's not his job. His job is to understand what ministry is needed most and then to employ all of us to help carry it out as a church family. That the resources of all of this congregation would be at his disposal as we work together to serve and love the folks that uh, find themselves here that are Mandarin speaking. His job will also be to help us do a better job integrating as a church family. That we don't want to become more separate, we want to become more integrated and more united. And this will be part of, of his responsibility as well. So be praying for them as they get settled. Uh, they've got a lot of work to do as they kind of get unpacked and adapt to a new city and get ready to start work on, on the 1st of July. So our church continues to grow in diversity. Then you notice that um, we've got a team of people that are providing transportation uh, for students from UMBSJ. Most of them are international students to the point that now on a Sunday morning we'll have people from about 25 different countries who call this their church family. So you've got rich and you've got poor and everything in between. You've got young and old and everyone in between. You've got people from Baptist churches and Catholic churches and everything in between and people from all over the world. And this is what we mean when we talk about that God has created in this congregation something that's beautiful. And we hold it as a value, which means it's something that we fight for and we want to see it continue to grow. And let me just say why it's such an important value for us. I'll just make a couple of comments about it today. First is this, diversity reflects the kingdom of God. Diversity reflects the kingdom of God. When the scripture paints a picture of what, the, what it'll look like when the Lord sets everything right, when his kingdom comes and when things on earth as are they are in heaven, people are not separated by their economic status. They're not separated by the language they speak and they're not separated by the country that they're born in. The scriptures always paint a picture of everyone gathering together and at the heart of it is Christ, but they gather together as a common family. Uh, Revelations chapter 7 paints this kind of picture. It's kind of giving us a picture of heaven. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, which is to say they were, they were actively engaged in worship. Can you picture that, what that looks like in your mind? Can you imagine what that scene would look like? Can you hear it? Can you hear the voices and the, and the rumbling and the different languages spoken in that moment? The Bible has a word for that, and it's called heaven, that God is always bringing his people together. And this is giving us a snapshot of how well it will be when the Lord gets his way, when brokenness and misunderstanding and hatred have, that have plagued the world are finally healed. And this vision of all these peoples worshiping together has inspired this value for us of being a beautiful community, that there's going to be a day when we will worship together in heaven, so why not start now? Why not figure out how to do that now? This is not affirmative action or trying to provide spots for people and treating them like they're tokens. Not at all. This is the opportunity to put on display the glory of God as seen in the uniqueness of the people that he's created. If I asked you this morning to find someone here who you think is the most like you, 
and to sit down and talk and say, I want on one uh, column to list all of your similarities and in another column list all of your differences. Even though you think this person is the most like you, the list of differences would be longer than the list of similarities. Because the journey you've been on, because the life experiences that you've had, that list would be even longer. And that list would be a mark of the thumbprint of God on your life who creates uniqueness in each of us and provides us an opportunity to grow and to learn from each other. If we truly believe our church should be a demonstration of the kingdom of God, then we have to be intentional about upholding this value. The second thing I'd say is our diversity is a demonstration to the power of the good news. A demonstration to the power of the good news. In the early church the proof of the power of God was seen in the transformation that was taking place in people's lives. People who had never found peace were finding peace on the inside. People who'd been searching for meaning and purpose, uh, who were surrendering their hearts to Christ and discovering purpose and meaning for the very first time. And this transformation was proof of what God could do in people's lives. But it was also seen in the way that people came together from such diverse backgrounds and found themselves as a family in a local church. Let me read for you a little bit. Someone's tried to capture what this might look like. Scott McKnight in his book, A Fellowship of Differences. Uh, he's tried to capture what it would be like in the first century where people from all different countries and different ethnicities and different cultures and different religions were coming together and trying to figure out what does it look like for us to be the church together. Let me kind of read his, trans, trans, uh, his snapshot of what that would look like. He said, imagine going to church in the first century. If you were in a major Roman city like Rome or Ephesus or Pompeii, you'd leave your home and you'd walk in your leather sandals through the city on the paved roads. You'd enter a house where everyone gathers and immediately there'd be some church kids playing hide and seek. Someone's slave would be carrying a stick with some already roasted meat dangling on it. You'd also see a household's former altar to a local god that had been torn down. You'd walk through the atrium where the evening sun gently falls on you. And then a few steps beyond the atrium, you'd enter into a large room where others are sitting. Some lounge on the floor, others are on sofas with pillows. Someone, likely a slave, is fanning what appears to be the important leader. It's the elder or the pastor or the priest. I like this part, by the way. You could use it this morning. Who has a small scroll open and he's chatting with some people about what it means. Outside the room on the veranda, you have some people who've already taken a seat for dinner. There's flasks of wine, some pots of water, some trays of food, chicken, fish, and some veggie options, and baked bread. There you sit at, see at a table, and you sit next to a Roman magistrate who you had not met other than an illegal case some time back, but he doesn't remember you. But he passes you the peace, which was a Jewish greeting, and with a handshake and a kiss on the cheek. You also meet a young Jewish man who not only follows the Torah, but believes in Jesus, and you can see that he's eating kosher food. Across the room, you observe that a slave, instead of serving others, is sitting next to a Roman citizen. Their different statuses identified by their clothing, and they're praying together with their hands clasped. You snap off some bread, you eat it, you take a deep gulp of the wine, you pass these to the magistrate next to you, and the table grows silent. Your thoughts wander to what has happened to you because of what happened to Jesus, dying so that you are now saved from a life of sin. The elder speaks about the cup and announces that this is God's love and his grace and his yes for everyone. 
He reports a sad story about a church in Greece where some of the wealthier followers of Jesus were eating before the poor ones arrived. And the elder makes it clear that the Roman ways stop at the door and that everyone, men and women, slaves and free, Jews and Greek and rich and poor are all one family in Christ. This captures the challenge that was found in the early church of all these groups coming together, bringing with them their understandings of what other people were like, what other ethnic groups were like, and trying to figure out what does this mean now as we are followers of Christ. This is so much more powerful than just political correctness. You can sound politically correct, but if your heart is still wrong towards people, if you're still holding on to old ways of thinking, it's not enough. God needs to get into your heart and to root out any of the hate or the mistrust or the stereotypes or the attitudes that other people are inferior to us. This was the challenge in the first church. And as God began to do that, and these groups from all different walks of life started to become a family, the people around them couldn't believe it. That God's love was powerful enough to change their hearts and to turn them into a family together. And I want to suggest to you today that if we're going to live this value out as a church, it's going to require reflection and openness to change in our own hearts. Now, if you've grown up in a North American Christian context, I need you to buckle your seatbelts just for a second because I have two statements to you that might be jarring. Are you ready? Statement number one, the North American expression of Christianity is not the pure expression of Christianity, okay? We can tend to think that. That our way is not the right way of doing all things. Yes, it has its strengths, but yes, it has its weaknesses too. Second statement, that we are now living in what's called the backwater of Christendom, the backwater of the Christian faith. Christian faith globally has moved south and it has moved east. Asia, Africa, and Latin America are now becoming the center of Christianity. It used to be North America and Western Europe in particular, and those days are over and it's changing. These countries are sending missionaries to Canada. Did you know that Nigeria sent more missionaries to Canada last year than any other country on the earth? Think about that for a second, how beautiful that is. And here's what you need to know. When they come, they're not trying to do ministry here like 1950s Canada. They've got something much more exciting in store. So exciting days ahead. As Christians, we need to be reflecting on our own faith and allow God to change us where needed. And this has always been the case with the church because each of us have stereotypes and thoughts and ideas and attitudes towards others that act as barriers to us being able to live out this value of a beautiful community. And at the heart of discipleship is learning to recognize which attitudes and which ways of thinking are not of Christ's kingdom. Figuring these out and rooting them out and replacing them with the mind of Christ is as much a part of discipleship as is learning to have a vibrant prayer life and sharing love with others. Again, this has always been the case. We see this was a challenge in the early church shortly after the event of Pentecost. Pentecost was the powerful day when the Holy Spirit came on all believers. People could hear the gospel in their own language, and the church, it said, grew daily by thousands of people. But shortly after Pentecost, if you read Luke or Acts chapter 6, verse 1, you'll discover there was a little bit of a crisis. There was a group of people who were feeling left out. Do you remember who they were? 
They were women, they were non-Jewish people, and they were poor. They were being the last to be cared for and the last to be loved because the church had yet not yet learned to incorporate this new faith and have it transform the way they treat people so that they treated people equally. Later on in James' uh, James letter, uh, the brother of Jesus, he would write this to the church that he was pastoring. He wrote this in James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meetings wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor by my feet, you, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges, and listen to this, with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? The early church was struggling to say, I used to think this way about people, but now that I'm a Christian, I have to learn to think like that and have the mind of Christ. And it's no different for you and I. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to show us any attitudes, thoughts, or stereotypes that we may have towards other people that need to be transformed. And as we do that, God will give testimony through us and through the unity of our church we will become a living example of what God can do in people's life in terms of a welcome, in terms of the work that he can do to make us into a family, and it will be a testimony to him. I put on the slide, this is not just some cool thing that God is doing. This is where the Spirit will always lead us. The Spirit will always lead us to be growing closer together as a family, and it's my hope that as we continue to take this journey together as being a beautiful community, that you will be open to the Spirit's leading and see how it is he might be using you to be a key part of this. Let me pray. God, we thank you for the way that you're already at work in this way. We thank you for all that we are learning from each other. We thank you for the joy that it brings us to get to hear these stories um, of how you've been at work in people's lives through different stories, different circumstances, and different backgrounds. And God, we pray that we would be humble. We pray that we would be teachable. We pray that we'll be sensitive to your spirit as it shows us maybe attitudes in our heart. But more than anything, that we will just enjoy this experience of being a family together. And we pray this in Christ's name.